Hi friends, welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher and life coach. It is my goal in life to reframe the way that we understand trauma. And I think if we want to understand trauma, we need more stories, more examples, an archive of trauma stories. But not just an archive where someone lays their story down for posterity and walks away, an archive that gives them something back, some attunement, some empathy, a reframe, integration, maybe some little piece of knowledge or understanding so that they walk away feeling like the thing that makes the least sense in their lives makes just a little more sense. This podcast is that archive. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal without shame. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to episode 24. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Good. Um, so we have a letter obviously, but, um, we also have just some stuff we wanted to talk about. Um, cause we've been kind of looking back through the episodes and things we've talked about, and there's definitely a theme of relationships and trauma in relationships. I was remembering that in the letter, and I can't remember what the letter was signed, but the, the woman who was in a relationship with the recovering alcoholic, mm-hmm. how she felt like she wasn't allowed to ask for the things that she needed. Yeah. Um, as a result of her childhood, she felt like she was being called an abuser if she asked for those things. And she, an example of that was um, when her partner would go out with her friends, um, the letter writer would text a couple times and need to be reassured. And I feel like I talked a lot in that episode about how you have a right to ask for the things that you need. And I gave the example of, um, you know, my husband not coming home exactly when I thought he was going to and me thinking that he was in a car accident and how we had kind of worked through that. And I gave a dramatic example of um, if I called Mac and asked her to stand on her head every Tuesday for 10 minutes, like you know, she, she should do that. And then the week after we had a letter where the letter writer um had kind of defined a an attachment disorder that she had. And she talked about um, needing things from her boyfriend at the time. And she became so needy, she had to ask him what shirt to wear and stuff like that. And that he eventually broke up with her. And in that situation, I feel like I kind of dismissed her needs. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to like, I've been thinking about that and, you know, wanted to provide a little bit of clarity and what I think is that you, your needs are your needs and you have a right to ask for them mm-hmm. with the hope that the understanding why you're asking for them will get you to a point where you're not impinging on someone else's existence, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, that if you're provided a safe space to express your needs, that need will become less important. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. Um, I just, because I, I still believe you do have a right to, to articulate those needs, but there's a fine line of when you, when it gets in the way of relating in a healthy way to one another, mm-hmm. you, you have to, it has to be in the hope of understanding why you're doing it. And not that you're need to stop doing it completely, but that you, you have that, those moments of when you feel the need of, of awareness and 
understanding that that's about you in that in that moment and mm-hmm. not necessarily a reflection of the other person or their behavior or your relationship and the stability or your- of the stability of it yeah right totally does that make sense no totally i mean i think there's it's so interesting like there's like a hundred things just occurred to me one of them is that like it's hard to respond to letters because in a situation where you had if, if this was like a therapeutic relationship in any way, coaching or therapy or whatever, you, you could come back and forth. You could go, bring it back up. You could like, but so that, so that's tricky too, because we just respond once and then that's it, you know? Um, and then the other thing is that we, it depends on the situation, right? So it depends on the letter. So we're going to be inconsistent, not because we are inconsistent, but because the letters are different. The situations are different. You're right. right. And I think like we are responding not just to what is said, but the subtext that we feel underneath it, which is that like, this is, seems unhealthy, or this seems a little bit out of control, or this seems to be causing distress versus you're asking for a basic thing and it's not being accepted. Right. You know, one size fits all situation. Yeah. Right. But I also, I think like, yeah, I mean, I, I would just, when you were just talking, I just like visualize this, like we, we need to know more about ourselves and what we need. Yeah. And you can use these situations that are conflict ridden and all that stuff to figure stuff out about yourself. And I was thinking like, we should think about concentric circles of needs, right. Where you have like your absolute non-negotiables, right. There is no yelling. There is no uh, cruel language, like whatever you're, there's no physical violence, like absolute non-negotiables go in there. Mm -hmm. Meaning if that is crossed, that is a huge deal. Those are non-negotiables, not up for debate. And then you have another layer outside of that that are like strong needs, right? So like if if I'm the kind of person who needs um, quality time as like, that's my love language and I really need it, that's going to be, that's going to be a strong need. And that's going to become a negotiation. Everything outside of the bullseye target center circle is negotiable Okay. to a certain extent. Yeah. And I don't mean negotiable in the sense that like you give it up. Right. But then, so you have like strong needs and then you could have preferences and then you could have like bonus. Like, here's what I would love to happen. (laughs) I'd love 12 dozen roses every Tuesday, but like, no, you know, that's not reasonable. Yeah. I think like locating where in the target your need is first is really important. That's a great way to think about it. Right. I just, I'm making this up right now. I just was thinking about it when you were talking. You need to write that down. That needs to be like a chapter somewhere. That's fabulous. Yeah. I don't even know what I just, (laughs) good thing we're recording. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, so you locate it on the target before you bring it up and then you're, then you can come into it with the knowing of like, this is a non-negotiable for me. Like you going AWOL for nine hours, non-negotiable, can't handle that. Not acceptable. But it doesn't have to be then that you call every 10 minutes. What can we figure out that you, what are your, what does your target look like? What are your needs? Right. You need to be left alone while you're at work. Okay. How can we navigate this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And I, I I like the idea too. It occurred to me when you were saying that the, the things in the biggest circle of the, you know, the 12 dozen roses, Yeah. like you can do those things for yourself. Yes. You know? Yes. You can bring that. that in. Right. And then, and then you're not hoping and praying that the other person does it for you, you know, right. Buy your own damn jewelry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's this, I'm sorry. There's this um, jewelry place in Boston that you're familiar with. um, Yeah. Flynn. 
And um, it's two sisters who have, who are in this jewelry business together and they put something on Instagram last night and they had a, like a little video and they talked about jewelry as self-care. And I was like, that is fabulous. I love that. Yeah. You know, you, you have something to celebrate and you buy yourself a little yep. something, you know, yeah. you're in a position to do that. But I love that concept of like, instead of waiting for the ring or, you know, right. whatever, like, Hey, do it for yourself. Right. Well, and also it's, it's healthy number one, because it's empowering, but two, because you're then not using it as a test Yes. Of, of the validity of the relationship without right. communicating it to the other person. Right. So you're like sitting there like, okay, well, man, I really wish someone would send me some roses, like <laughs> right, <laughs> or right. some peonies or whatever, but like, I'm not going to say anything. And then that person doesn't know and it doesn't occur to them because then it's just not on their radar. And then you're like, see, they don't love me. See if they exactly. did, they would. And then you're like, no, wait, this is the outer layer of the, of the target, you know? Yeah. That's a cool idea. I like that. Yeah. I'm glad we talked about this. I think it's important. Yeah. I mean, needs are, you have to know them before you can communicate them. And I think as a culture, we're not, we go, we swing from extremes, you know? So it's like you either know all your needs and you're communicating them all the time to the point where nobody wants to meet them or you're locked them away in a lockbox under your bed, you know? Right. Or they're bullets that you're loading into a gun. Right. Right. That, you you know, someone's being punished with. Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. Do you want to go to the letter? Sure. Okay. This letter is from waiting for the other shoe. Ominous. Yeah. Um, Dear trauma tapes. Well, I'm not sure when you'll get to this, but as I write it, it's pride month and this letter will fit the theme of that. I'm not exactly proud though. And neither is my family. I'm a bisexual woman. And I came out to most of my friends when I was in college. My family is evangelical Christian, so I did not and could not come out to them until I graduated. When I finally did after college, they reacted terribly. We were at a barbecue and my mother cried and stormed off. My father told me I was a disappointment and asked how I could possibly do this to them after they had helped me and supported me so much. I didn't think we'd ever heal as a family. Given some time, we put the situation behind us. Not because we healed it, because we didn't talk about it at all. It literally never came up again. I was single and then in a relationship with a man for about a year, which obviously didn't bother my family at all. But now I'm with a woman. I am over the moon happy with her. Our relationship is not perfect by any means, but it is what I was looking for. And we are both on a path to become better people together as the future unfolds. But there is no future because I can't fathom a life without my family in it. And they will not, cannot accept her. I need some advice to deal with two things. One, the unprocessed trauma of having my identity rejected when I first came out to my family. And two, the enormous loss I'm about to suffer. Because no matter what I choose, I will lose. Choose my family, lose my partner. Choose my partner, lose my family. Help. Signed, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Oh my goodness, I have goosebumps. Yeah. Ugh. What are your initial thoughts? That this is um this is a story that you just you know you hear over and over again, and um it's it's heartbreaking, you know. Mm-hmm. And I um I feel like I always bring up our lives, but I you know mom and dad were so good about making that not a thing in our lives. You know that they, they had gay friends that were at the house and. 
uh, it's just, it's shocking and it's heartbreaking that, that this still happens and that, um, you know, people are suffering as much as they are. Makes me yeah. sad. Yeah. You know, it just shouldn't matter. It just shouldn't even be a thing. Yeah. And it is, it, it, it obviously is. It's such an, it's such an interesting negation, you know, like I put you into this world. I want you to have a happy life that one piece of your identity that I don't agree with means you're not worthy of being in the family, you know, like, yeah. How are you supposed to reconcile that? Yeah. Or I don't love who you are. Right. I, I, I mean, I, that's tragic. It is. And I think like we have this, there's this strange, like, I'm sure there's people who've written about this and this is probably a real thing. And I'm going to like butcher the idea, but we have this idea that like who you are, like as a sexual being is like this other thing, like this, like, you know, branch of your personality and that it's not central, which means like, if I don't accept who you are and your sexual orientation, I could still accept you in the rest of your being, but they're not, I mean, who you are as a sexual being is a central part of who you are. You can't like compartmentalize that. And I'm thinking, so did you watch the Oliver Sacks thing yet? No, you have to watch that. Um, because he, there's a big, I don't know if this actually was a big part of the documentary, but um, the, he was gay and didn't, and was not able to come out and had this very like fraught relationship with a roommate who was, you know, it was very confusing. His roommate was maybe bi or straight or whatever, but he was in love with him and it was just, he was just tortured Yeah. for like, you know, I can't remember what age at, he was like at least 30 or 40 um, when he was able to like kind of come out. And I think it was because his you know, he didn't, he, I don't know that he ever told his mother and it's like, he, he was tortured. He spent a huge chunk of his life tortured. And it's just so like, why? Right. It seems senseless. It's like violent and senseless in a, in a way that's shocking. Yeah. Senseless is a good word. And she said something about like a religion evangelical. Yeah. Listen, man, (laughs) like I am not with religions that, you know, like are going to deny people their humanity. And I, I, as we've seen in many different arenas, repressing who you are sexually doesn't work out in the end. And so I think there's something especially cruel about them. It sounds like, maybe I'm reading into this and projecting all that, but like, it sounds like they're rejecting and kind of hiding behind religion as a way to do that. Like we can't accept her. We can't you know, and it's like, no, actually you can, there's lots, if you actually read the Bible and and study the way things were, it's, there's yeah. a lot of grace and mercy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to get into a whole. <laughs> I know that's a, that's a loaded topic, but it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's important. And it's, um, I have this thing about like, I, I, this is going to be oversimplifying it, of course, but that part, the second part where she said, like, they're, two losses, right? Like, cause I lose either way I'm a, or something like I'm about to lose in a big way, um, whatever I choose. And I think like, yes, that is totally true. And that is crushing and heartbreaking. And you already lost your family. Right. And so maybe choosing your own path and picking your own relationship is a way of like giving yourself back to yourself and then can heal the wound that you mentioned about the unprocessed trauma of having your identity neglected. Like your identity was neglected by your family. Right. And I feel like there's this underlying thing in the letter. Like, how do I like fix that? You can't, it happened. Right. 
they haven't walked back from that. It could, I mean, it could be fixed, right? If they said, you know, listen, we accept you. We're sorry. We didn't know how to handle it. We didn't do the good. We didn't do a good job. When you told us we were shocked, blah, blah, blah. We didn't understand like all that stuff that could heal it, but they did. They haven't done that. Right. And so you, you already lost them. Don't try to fit yourself into that family unit just because that's where you came from. If you don't fit there anymore, what will you have to sacrifice in order to do it? It's too big a cost. Well, you, and you'll also be constantly reopening the wound. Right. So, you know, if you make the decision to right. um, stay with your family and, and live the life that they want you to, then every time you're with them, yeah, you're going to be reminded that you're not living your true, you know, authentic life and yeah. because it's not acceptable to them. Yeah. And even if you are in a relationship with a man, that's still true. Right. They've said, we don't accept you. Right. That's, and I don't, I don't mean to like cover over that. Like it's not sad. That is terrible. It's crying. Right. But I don't know that there's coming back from that if they're not willing to budge, you know? Right. Nobody gets to tell you how to live your life. Nobody gets to tell you who to love. Nobody gets to tell you who to move in with and live your life with. Like nobody, that's not, that's not how this works. Right. And how are you going to feel every single day if you comply with what they want for you instead of what you really want for yourself? That's a slow death. Yeah. And if you end this relationship because of your family and not because the relationship is over, right? which may happen anyway, which is the extra layer that she doesn't even talk about in the letter, but this is putting in a tremendous amount of relation of stress on their relationship. Right. To be the be all and end all, you know? Right. And it might not be, we don't, we never know, you know? Right. Um, but if you end this relationship because of your family and not because it, it ends on its own, you'll always wonder every time there's conflict with your family. Every time things are fine and it just crosses your mind, you'll always wonder, did I make the right decision? Is it worth it? And if if you do stay with this partner, you have to find a way to grieve the loss. Yeah. Not your family. It's this is tough. This is a difficult situation. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you think of grief as being, you know, uh, such a finite or such a final thing that um you know, when you lose somebody, but you did lose your family, like you said, yeah, and yeah. how do you, how do you grieve that? Right. And how do you grieve that in, or in this relationship without becoming resentful or yeah. that that's a tough negotiation. There's a lot there. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about just cause this comes up with clients all the time. Like how do we navigate relationships with our families as we grow up and change? Because I think that like family systems were not I mean, we don't really have a model for this in a lot of ways, because it used to be the case that you would live in the same town. You would never leave. You inherently had things in common, right? You kind of inherited behavior patterns and probably didn't shift them much because again, you were all in the same place and all that stuff. But now we move to other countries and other parts of the world. And we like live these wildly different lives. And for the most part, and with our case and those like us as an exception, people's parents live a lot longer. And so they're in your life for this part of adulthood that like becomes strange and hard to navigate, right? Like your parent, you're in this kind of power dynamic where your parents, where it feels like your parents have uh, power over you. And yet you're an adult. I mean, she didn't say how old she was, did she? But like, 
don't think so. No. Out of college for at least a couple of years, right? She's an adult. She's doing it on her own. Like what? I don't think we do a good job of, of this, like either expecting or knowing how to navigate, knowing what to expect and knowing how to navigate what the relationships are going to be like as people grow. That's a good know? point. Yeah. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What is that? You're right. Because your parents like do a certain job up until a certain point. Right. And those roles need to change. Right. So like that relationship needs to change. Right. And I think by that's a good point in the situation too, but because by choosing the path of where she does what her parents want her to do, that's no longer appropriate right? Right. to your age or to your situation. Right. Because this could manifest in different ways. Right. It's yeah. And so I think like the thing that's coming up there is like, I'm sure you've thought about everything that's possibly possible to do here, but I wonder if, if instead of losing your family, you give them one more chance and you draw a boundary and you say, you know, this is how I'm living my life. This is not up for discussion. This is how I'm living my life. I love you fiercely and I want to be connected. How can we make that happen? Right. And then see, maybe it's that you, and this is its own kind of heartbreak, right? But like, maybe you hang out a lot less often. Maybe you have a more surface level relationship. Maybe you connect over memories only and nothing from the present or the future, right? Again, all of that is still making concessions and it's still heartbreaking, but it's hemming yourself in, in a different way. It's not okay to hem yourself in when it comes to a critical part of your identity. You can't play small there, but I think you can like bring all this into the room and say like, I don't want to lose you. How can we move forward? This part of my life, this is where I'm drawing this boundary, right? This is not up for discussion. And they might not be willing to discuss it because if they haven't talked about it. Right, forever, yeah. But do you want to live in a world where you're not willing to discuss it and you're not allowed to be who you are? You know, that seems like an awfully high price to pay. Right. In order to keep the peace with with a system that is not open to. Yeah. 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 Something's going to give here. You're you're right. There, There is a loss either way. Yeah. But it seems like you need to start grieving that loss and mm-hmm. live your your true life, your authentic life. Yeah, it already happened. Yeah, and it, and and the 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 like the good. I don't know, there's not a good part, but like the good part to that is that you you survived that initial. Right. You know what does it mean? I mean, she said it's like unprocessed. What what is that? what is, are you sure? Like, what does that mean to you? Do you know what I mean? Like, what would it mean to process it? What would that look like? Are you looking for it to have not happened? You know, are you looking for them to come back and be something that they're not capable of being? It's going to be, it's always going to be sad when you think about it. Yeah. It's always going to, it's always going to be there, but it's what do you do with it now? You know? Yeah. And also like celebrating how far you have come because you did, you survived that. That is a big deal. Not everybody survives that. Right. And maybe finding a way to make meaning out of it. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe you help people that are in the same situation. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you, it's difficult. I, yeah. I feel for her. You know? Yeah. I think it's helpful too, to think about like what you're losing. And it's, it's helpful in a couple ways because I think, First of all, it, it helps you process, right? It brings it into the like rational part of your brain and you use language and narrative to kind of put it together into a thing that makes sense, which can make it 
easier to kind of navigate in your, just even in your own head, but also like, it could be the case that the connection that you're craving wouldn't even be possible, even if you were in a relationship with a man, or even if you, you know, were living your life otherwise, or had never come out to your parents, right? Like people, there is a pain of growing up and becoming different than your family, you know, that maybe that's part of this too. And you're kind of lumping it all in together. What, what do you get out of these relationships, you know, but beyond the obvious, you know, what, what have they contributed to? How do you feel when you're around them? Do you guys laugh? Do you have fun? Do you get along? Do you share um, opinions about other stuff? You know, like kind of take stock about what it is you're losing because I think it sometimes becomes this, it's like a wizard of Oz situation. We hold the grief at bay and at arm's length because we're afraid it's going to knock us over. And when we let it in, we see like, Oh, okay. I can navigate this. Maybe this isn't an enormous loss. Maybe this is, you know, a loss for sure, but here's what I'm gaining in exchange, you know? Right. Maybe it would have been just part of the natural like evolution of the relationship. Yeah. Of the familial relationship. Yeah. I I also just wish like as a culture, we were better at transitions, like, and recalibrating in relationships, like, you know, like, okay, this is painful. Sure. Absolutely. And what else? Like, could you recalibrate both sides? Right. Like, so from their perspective, they're disappointed that you're not who they expected them your you to be right yeah yeah um they need to recalibrate maybe you also need to recalibrate you know <clears throat> i see this a lot in clients this is not at all the case it sounds like with this letter writer at all so i just want to be clear i'm not talking about her but where people you know like someone's parent is like in their 80s and they're conservative politically and they've been conservative politically for 60 years <laughs> And you're coming in with your 40 year old brain and awareness and understanding and, you know, concern, rightful concern about the future and trying to make this 80 year old person change and causing yourself an enormous amount of pain because you're not recalibrating. Right. Right. Your 80 year old parent is not going to become a member of the Senate right? They do not have lots of power beyond their power to vote, which is relevant. I'm not saying it's not, but like, could you recalibrate in that situation and say, okay, would I love it if my parents saw the way? Absolutely. Do I need healthy boundaries around this? So I don't get upset every time we're around each other. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What, what else do I get from this relationship? I love talking right. to my parents about the way they grew up or asking them questions about how they parented or like whatever, you know, yeah. The goal is to not, um, you know, get someone, get them to your side. The goal right. is to respect, you know, where they came from and what they believe. And like you said, kind of avoid slash negotiate, you know, the, the situations where there might be some triggers you know? and pain. Yeah. Right. But to continue to hope that things change is just, that's the definition of insanity. It's not going to, it's not. Right. Right. And there's let it go. Yeah. There's so much power in that, like acceptance of that. Right. There's so much space when you say, okay. I mean, again, I don't want to negate that. It's very painful. It is. It's traumatic to have your identity 
negated by your family, but, or, and I guess, and it happened. Yeah. It is. Yeah. What now? That you're exposing yourself to the continued negation. That's the other thing. What is that doing for you? How is that serving you? Is there so, is there a part of you that hasn't processed who you are yet? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And he, and the other question is, do you have to be understood by them or do you just have to be understood? Do you have to be heard by them or do you just have to be heard? That's a good question. Cause like, I don't know how to like put that. I wish I had like a metaphor for that, but it seems like an important distinction. There's so many people. I feel like there's like a thousand things we're not talking about. Cause like, I, I want to make sure to do it justice and we can't in a podcast episode, but in the, you know, in these communities, there's like this, this whole idea of chosen family, right. That comes from people who've been rejected by their family of origin. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly resilient and like, it is a healing place because you, you choose people who will accept you and then you are accepted and then you get what you didn't get in your family. Right. And so I think you have to accept that you're not going to get what you need from your family and then get what you need. Right. You have to mourn that you have to, yeah, you have, you have to allow yourself to be sad about that and and, and realize that it's not going to change, you know, what is it that has happened? Like you said, right. I'm not going to get the support that I need from this unit anymore. So yeah. I'm going to find it somewhere else. Yeah. But choosing your family over who you are is a, a recipe for disaster. I think. Yeah. I just, I please don't do that. And I'm sorry for your loss and please don't do that because you, you can't, you can't make yourself small that way. Exactly. That's not adaptation. That's annihilation, you know? Right. That's being held hostage. That's right. And I also think choose yourself. Don't make it about this relationship or your family. Choose yourself. Well, that's yes. That's an excellent point because um, I've seen this a lot. All of us have, right? Because I think this happens very often when you're made to choose a relationship over a family or a friend group or whatever, (laughs) it puts an enormous amount of stress on the relationship. Right. That is, you know, that you can navigate, but also can be like crushing and can destroy the relationship. And so I think it is a hugely important thing that you frame it up as you're choosing yourself and who you are, and you're choosing to not let yourself be rejected anymore. Right. And not, I'm picking her over them because it's too much stress on the relationship. And, and maybe it's it sounds, it's, it's unwarranted. It's, yeah. It's, you know, And then you'll have this moment of like, if when there's conflict in your relationship, you'll think like, oh, did I make the wrong decision? I should have chosen my family. I should have known. And you go back to that scab and pick it open again. Right. That's don't do that. This is not about your relationship. You know, this is about you and who you are. Right. And I'm sure if you go back in time and think about that span of time when you were with a man and your family accepted it, that you still felt small. You still felt not accepted. You still felt like you had to hem yourself in. And I just think like when someone is asking you to choose us or them, they've chosen for you. That's not okay. Right. Like, okay, bye. Because, you know, like you can't, nobody in your life can do, can, can try to exert that kind of power. You're an, you're an, you're a subject, not a thing. Right. It's not, that's not appropriate, which is another thing. Like where are, this is another thing we're kind of terrible at navigating, which is boundaries and families. 
Yeah. Because again, as you grow up, you might want or need different boundaries. And if your family of origin is different, then that's, that becomes really tricky because how do you negotiate that? And then do you have to police that boundary every time you're around them? You know? Yeah. I'm sorry that your family doesn't support you, but we do. We do. And you will find people that do. Yeah. And support yourself. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what else to say. I feel like we're like, almost like stunned by the cruelty of this, you know, in Freud's essay, mourning and melancholia, he talks about like the, the process of mourning. Like what is this, what is this task of mourning? How do you complete it? And um, he talks about like needing to take stock of what, how you're connected. Right. So this might be something where you can like, kind of think about again, like go back and think about what you're getting from these family members. What are you getting from this relationship? I know that sounds transactional and you're not just going to leave it there. It's just a jumping off point because if there is anything to be um, salvaged, you'll be able to see more clearly what it is. And it will also give you an indication of like what there is to grieve because you will meet that grief and you'll continue to meet that grief into the future because you have this belief in your head, whether it's conscious or not, or not this belief, this hope, this dream of an integrated family. And that dream has been shattered. What does that look like in the future? And how are you going to meet that grief? That can be less painful if you know a little bit about what you were expecting. What did you want? What did you dream? I also think this is very hard, but I also think sometimes when we take the conflict out when we take it off the table, not by smashing everything in the room, but by saying very firmly, this part of my life is not up for discussion here. You then actually like give some space for unexpected to happen. And sometimes if you can stay in relationship with your family, if you want to, if that serves you, if that honors you in some way, which it might, then they see that you are happy and whatever it is that they're afraid of underneath their ignorance is brought into the light and they see they don't need to be afraid and and it's possible that they could come to accept. And I wanted to say that like last because it's, you know, I don't want to say like oh just keep going and they'll, you know, they'll come around because that feels very like dismissive and bypassy, you know. But but it's also possible that if you lay the boundary then they'll they'll stop the fight, you know. Yeah, you don't know what might happen. Right. You're an adult, you have every right to go live your life the way you see fit. Don't look for that acceptance from them. Right. And it might happen anyway. Right. We talk about this a lot, but the practice of radical acceptance, like the the point of it is that it brings peace. Mm-hmm. And every single time I talk about it, I am like struck by the, you know, it's usually a situation that's not even mine, right? Like I'm talking about somebody else's thing. We're talking about her letter. But when you put it in the frame of acceptance, there's space and I can feel it like in my body. It's just like, okay, right. It is. They, they, it is, they rejected you. It is not, they rejected me. What do I do? How do I get it back? How do I prove myself? How do I do, you know, like there's a franticness to that. That's really further upsetting. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. I also just feel like that just, I want to give her a hug because it seems, I mean, she didn't talk at all about her partner and how her partner feels, but what a lonely position you're in to have to choose. Okay. Last thing. Sorry. Also, I think that like with, if you can get to the kind of the point of acceptance and and the non-judgment of that, not acceptance, it's okay, but acceptance it is, you can 
potentially see your parents in a, in a conflict-free light, which might make it possible for you to engage with them with more compassion. Again, not because they deserve compassion over what they're doing, but what's underneath it is likely fear, ignorance, a frantic desire for you to have a kind of life that they, you know, got overly specific about in their head and their dream for you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Fear, I think is. Huge. Yeah. Right. Right. Rather than rejection for the sake of rejection. And even just coming to that realization in yourself can be healing for you. You don't have to express that compassion to them necessarily. But I think a lot of people would tell you to just go like burn the house down and never talk to them again. And I just, maybe, maybe that's the answer, but maybe there's a lot of other options as well. I'm sure there's a lot out there about this, right? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. People in the, you know, LGBTQ AI community are not, they're not alone in it, you know? Right. They're resources. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're going through this. Yeah, me too. It's a, it's, you know, it's a loss without the physical loss, which is kind of harder to reconcile. Yeah. It's disorienting. It's complicated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, and it's a loss of potential and it's a loss of future and it's a loss of identity. It's a loss. It's lots of loss. Right. Right. There's, there's an essay that I talk about all the time by Judith Butler in her book. The essay is called violence, mourning politics. And the book is called precarious lives, which is like the best title in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And she, um, she talks a lot about identity and how loss of identity is trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. And how to kind of not even recover from that. She just writes beautifully about how to recognize it, how to trace the wound, you know, how to like see what, what, what's there. Yeah. I think hearing other people's stories is helpful too. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And there are so many, again, unfortunately there are so many, but that's the healing thing, right? Finding your community, whether it's just reading other people's stories or connecting with other people who've been through it. And I think by erasure, which if you haven't come across that, Google that and find find some stuff about that. There's been a lot written about it, like is its own complicated thing, right? Being bisexual is is complicated in a different way than being gay. And especially when you're in and out of relationships with with you know both genders, it's it can be very confusing when it comes to taking stock of your own identity. That's a real thing. I feel like you're holding back. <laughs> No, I'm not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm sad. And I'm, I'm, it's heartbreaking that, that, that this is a a story that's told over and over and over again. And yeah, all you could do is do better. Yeah. Than what you were brought up in. Right. And make it, and maybe that's the commitment, right? Make a commitment to only engage in things that honor you from now on. That's not actually a loss. That's a gain. Yeah. It's a gain that will involve losses, but that's a commitment you deserve. It's so interesting. Like I always think about just going back to us, sorry, people, (laughs) but that like, we didn't have to do that. We didn't have that. Like we were, we were spared from certain pains, potential pains. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have to like figure out how to navigate relationships with mom and dad as fully grown adults, actualized adults that live all over the place and do all sorts of different things. And yeah, I think about that a lot too. Like they, um, they didn't have to negotiate any of that. We didn't have to negotiate any of that. Right. So we're just left with like the, you know, 
the book ended halfway through, yeah, you know, right. the, and um, it's a blessing and a curse, I guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's good and bad. But I, I often wonder, like, how would mom specifically have handled, you know, some of these situations? Because oh, she was so, yeah. it was so important to her that the yeah. unit was intact and strong and yeah. um, supportive. And yeah. th- th- there are a whole, there have been a whole lot of challenges yeah. you know, yeah. along the way that um, I, I often wonder how she would have negotiated. Right. And people do it. I mean, it, you know, right. it, it happens, you know, um, but right. it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. But, and I think there's like a whole sea of pain underneath that people don't talk about. Like yeah. just because they're navigating it and dealing and like white knuckling through doesn't necessarily mean that it's like, these are good, healthy, fruitful relationships, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, you see it in the, in the people in your life that, you know, mm-hmm. whose parents are alive and right. you know, how much things change and. Right. And it got in navigating like this last year and the pandemic and people's different opinions. Even if you are in the same political sphere, you might've had different scientific beliefs. and like, right. That that's tricky stuff. It is tricky stuff. It's it, people get very passionate about it. And, um, very protective of their opinions and it's, yeah, it's difficult, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of families or the families, the extended families that I see of the people in my life, when they get together, they just talk about the old times, which is kind of nice, you know? Right. Right. And that's why I think like, Oh, go ahead. No, no, that's what brings them joy now. You know? Yeah. That's why I think like, don't necessarily feel like you have to take your whole journey in and integrate it at all times you know, you wouldn't talk to your work cubicle friend about your like doctor's appointment and this fear you have about a diagnosis necessarily, or like a deep concern you have in your primary romantic relationship or whatever, like, but that doesn't mean the relationship isn't valuable. You laugh about memes and you, you know, complain about your boss and you, you know, like get lunch together. That still has value. Like you don't have to do everything to with everyone and you don't have to bring your whole self into every situation and lay it on the table for judgment. You are who you are. Your parents no longer get to make, have a say about that. You know, it's like they do, they do a job to a point. Right. But then I guess we all, you know, have this need to check in and make sure we're still on the right path and doing the right thing, even when they're not here, you know, right. Right. That's like this childhood need. Right. I, I don't know. Desire. But that, I mean, it's so like that we just all want to be accepted and, and, and told by someone who we trust that we're doing the best we can. Right. That's it. Right. It's like, I, I'm going to jump way over, here, <laughs> but the, the movie that you made me watch that, oh, God, oh, God. with the magician, with the, you know, the guy with the, the Rulatista. Oh God. Yeah. The, um, in and of itself, Derek Giadio or whatever. Yeah. We all want that letter. Oh yeah. Sent to us. And uh, you know, if you haven't watched it, watch it. Yeah. Life-changing. And it's about identity in those places that we are most vulnerable. Like that is what it's about. Right. The magician. That's so funny. It's called it, like if you look it up, it's called a magic show. But it's like what? <laughs> it's not. It's uncapturable. You can't explain it. Just go watch it. You can't explain. You you're right. You have to watch it. But I think the biggest thing I took from that is like 
how do we write that letter? How do we write Mm -hmm. that letter for ourselves? Or how do we write that letter to, how do we, how do we tell the people in our lives that, that we accept them and we love them for who they are and we understand? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And how do we do that for ourselves and stop beating ourselves up? You know, even in this letter, there's like a, how do I do this? The, The implication underneath that is that you're doing it wrong. I don't think you are. No. You know, not wrong at all. We're so self-critical. It's got to stop. But yeah, go watch that. I love that. Okay. Okay. Thank you for writing. Yes. Keep us posted if you want. You know, there's a, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'll stop. (laughs) What were you going to say? I feel like Liz Gilbert talked about this because she, she came out to her parents. Oh yeah. Um, Cause she had a lot, she had a couple, two marriages with men and then fell in love with her, with her best girlfriend, who was obviously a woman. And I'm not sure if they were married, but they were in a long-term romantic relationship. And she, I, the thing is, I, I've listened to so many Liz Gilbert things. I have no idea what podcast it was, but she talked about this and it went very well. So this is what, this doesn't have in common with your letter, but it might be worth hearing her story because she went into her parents' house and said, look, (laughs) I've fallen in love with Raya. I'm getting divorced. I'm going to be with her. This is not up for discussion. This is not up for discussion. This is how I'm living my life. And she was terrified. Like it wasn't like she was like, I think we, 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 we wait to feel like totally secure before we do it because we look at other people's stories and we're like, oh, well, they were strong and secure when they did it, but that's just in the telling, you know? Yeah. I have no idea. I wish I could, I could try to find it, but, um, and if I do, we can link to it, but there's a possibility that I, cause I've literally listened to every time she's been interviewed, like on any podcast. She's fabulous. She's, she's, she's had so many different points in her life where she has pivoted and been authentically and yeah, uh, truthfully herself. Right. And that, that changed. Yep. You know, and yep. then something needed to go in a different direction. She, yeah. She did through it. Yeah. Publicly often, which yes. is, you know, which we can all benefit from. Right. With grace and dignity sure. and yeah. Humor. And also like grasping all of the complex, intricate emotions that come with all of that transition. She wasn't like, just like, okay, now I'm going to go do this and screw everything else. It was like very wholehearted as Brene Brown would say, you know? Yeah. Okay. We're all over the place. Do you have a tiny little joy? <laughs> I do. Um, my tiny little joy is, um, my current pajama collection. (laughs) Oh my goodness. PJs are the best. They are the best. And like, I never bought pajama sets my entire life. Like was not into it. We did like the gap sweatpants. Yeah. Yeah. The hoodie sweatshirt, you know, Mm -hmm. no big deal. Not, not fancy, not dressy at all. And the, what I have now is not fancy or dressy, but they're, they're pajamas. And, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like they, it was part, partly due to the pandemic and kind of changing into that at the end of the day, mm-hmm. signified, and then to one part of the day in the beginning of the evening. Yeah. Um, I was also massively inspired by um, Schitt's Creek with the Moira Rose. Yeah. Who you have not seen yeah. it, but <laughs> her pajamas are fabulous. Mine are not that fabulous, but um I don't know. I just, I get a kick out of it every single night when I put on one of these pajama sets, which um, it brings me joy. Oh, I love that. I'm obsessed with like the, the, like everyday things, like 
you know, it elevates your life so much when you have things that are like present in your day-to-day life that you actually love. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't realize like how certain things can make you feel like, yeah. you know, like, oh, I'm going to put on the schlump a dump thing. Right. You know, I'm going to feel like a schlump a dump. And, you know, it's just like a little shift. And it's like, oh, I've got, get, I'm feeling myself right now. I'm getting a kick out of this. Well, all of a sudden you're like walking around your house like differently and you're not like slumping around. You're like, okay, I look fabulous. I know it changes everything. I love that. That was a huge thing. Like with the pandemic was like elevating, which I hope we stay with. Like why we don't like pants as a culture, like it, pants are difficult. Let's just wear flowy things. We did it all year. It was fine. Nothing fell apart. Like, can we just, instead of being sad about our jeans, (laughs) I keep seeing articles that people are like devastated that they don't fit into their old clothes. Number one, your body just brought you through a pandemic. So let's give thanks to that. And number two, like just wear your flowy shit. Who cares? Right. Cause be- also because you get used to like a different fit. and feel. Right. Right. You know? Right. It's not even about how you look. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I don't want things like that close to me right now. Yeah. You know? And that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, you know, I did something bad during the right. pandemic. It's right. Just, I, yeah. Yeah. I like flowy things. I like PJ, right. whatever. Right. I love that. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. I have one and I'm going to, this is going to be funny. Maybe. Um, so, you know, I'm a TikTok fan. Yep. (laughs) This is what I do at night. And there was this thing the other day that I laughed about for, I think like two and a half days is probably the right thing. Um, this person's name is the B Noth, and I'm going to actually play the audio in a minute and I'll show you the video. (laughs) It's, It's hilarious. Okay. Hold on. The guy part. I ask myself, why do I feel like trash this morning? Oh, yes, those sticks, those mozzarella sticks I had for dinner. <laughs> Two nights in a row. <laughs> Did I have veggies? No, just mozzarella sticks. They were delicious. <laughs> 30 to a pack, but I had 15 in two sittings because I'm not a monster. <laughs> How is it possible that 1.2 kilograms of breaded cheese has brought me down to my knees <laughs> on a Sunday morning? But you know what? I'll eat them again <laughs> because they were two for one. And they made me feel happy for a moment and sad when they were done. I a little joy, see? I ask myself, why do I... I love that. It's just so funny. I don't know what it is about... There's something about the way he, like, looks and gets... He's so... In, he's wearing, like, you know... Uh, what do you call that? Like a sweatband on his head. Yeah, like a Richard Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of a fro and, like... <laughs> He's taking the song so seriously. My face hurts. Um, It's just so like, I love using humor to like change the charge of some of our stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. I love thinking about like how to like the energy of someone to like, I know know. something like that, you know, know. to recognize, okay, these made me happy. And now I'm going to dress up and make a video. (laughs) Right. (laughs) These made me happy, 
I ate too much. I'm terribly sick right now and I have to stay home for the rest of the day. So I'm going to make a TikTok about it because whatever and share this with other people and make them laugh. There's something about that that I love so much that like, I know there's lots about social media and stuff like that. That's corrosive and problematic, but like I have been consistently reminded over the last 15 months or 16 months of this, how important those like low stakes communities are. You know what I mean? Like the, the, it's just, I don't know. There's something really cool about that. Yeah. People creating just for the sake of like making somebody laugh, you know? I know. I know. I feel like that's where people go for that stuff now. Cause it like they, yeah. the era of like the funny yeah. sitcom is, is yeah. over, yeah. you know, so yeah. you need that fix somewhere. Yeah. And we didn't have, we lost, this is so interesting. Like we lost those acquaintances, right? There was some article yeah. somewhere we lost all Atlantic, of, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a huge loss. And so we adapted. Right. And we found new communities that were full of what we needed you know, humor and silliness and joy and like no need, there's no stakes because you're just, you know, I don't know. I think it's interesting, but yeah, he was my tiny little joy this week. They are tiny little joys. They're great. Mm -hmm. Totally. There's also this parrot that is funny, but I won't play that. (laughs) (laughs) You have to send them to me when you find them. I will. I just, I don't want to like spam you with like Two o'clock in the morning, 85 (laughs) parrot videos from TikTok. Anyway. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, We're going to do next time. I think we're going to do, we're going to do a couple of weeks that are focused on tools. So we've talked a lot about some of the same stuff kind of over and over again, but how can we put it into practice? We try to give advice and like practical tools every, every episode, but we thought we would kind of like consolidate them into their own episodes and talk about some tools. So we're going to talk about how they work, why they work, what they do, what you can expect from them. And then we're going to try them with you. So, and report back on what we noticed. Perfect. Cool. Okay. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait.